0: So, um, morning Crossway, I think it's um, very fitting where we are in our series in First Samuel, because as we recall and celebrate the achievements of our grads um, this morning, um, we remember um, the things they've learned, the goals they have achieved, um, the tough seasons they have overcome, and we want to publicly thank God, who is the giver of all things, for his provision. Um, Yet we also want to encourage and pray for our grads of various stages that they're at as they transition and what God has next for them. Um, Whether that's entering into the youth group, if you guys can remember the first time, your first Sunday entering youth group, or if it's entering this brand new high school campus that's very large and scary, or if it's this foreign land called college and all the different people you will meet in the classrooms and the activities Or if it's the full-on, I finished college now. I have to be an adult (laughs) thing that that is. We are all in transition, Um, and so as I think about that, as we as a church, um, wherever you're at, we wherever you're at with transition, it made me think of some of my own. Um, I remember my senior year summer. one of the last conversations I had with two of my closest friends as we were all gonna go to different colleges in Texas. Um, I remember when I finished college and my relatives and everyone moved and helped me pack up all my stuff as we went back to home in Houston. I remember um, moving out here um, to Los Angeles, the City of Angels, it was so new. I had no idea what this place was. And I remember my parents kind of literally releasing me to make this 22-hour drive into a foreign land that everyone knew about. Um, but as I reflect on these transitions and kind of the disorientation that some of that was of, of leaving and some of the loss there, it produced in me, as, as I reflect on this desire for refuge, for safety, for stability, for security. And likewise, as we're in our series in David, We've tracked through David's humble beginnings. He just slayed Goliath. And all of a sudden, as his fame and his notoriety is building, he has has kind of accumulated a lot of foes. And he is in a time of transition where he, too, is kind of uncertain of what the future brings. He knows he's been anointed king, but he is still running for his life. And I wonder, as I read through his life, whether he, too, had that desire for refuge and stability and security. For those of you guys who have read the Psalms, the answer is obviously yes. He always seeks refuge. But where he finds that from is where we're going to be at this morning. And I want to present this title to you because I believe that the message of today is that the security he longs for is not found in a change of circumstance, or something that he would build, but it is found in covenant. This biblical word named covenant. And kind of as we even get there, what I want to do is kind of unpack a little bit what that word means, track us through a little bit of where he has been with that, and then show how that has implications for our lives. And so it begins with 1 Samuel 18, 1. That after David had just did the most miraculous highlight reel of his life. He just, you know, threw a stone at a nine foot five guy's head and he fell down. Boom, it hits the ground and everyone cheers and has accomplished a freedom for his people. There is this guy um, named Jonathan, is the son of Saul, the king who was too wussy to actually do that, um, who has constantly been compared as failing and lesser than David. And the son of Jonathan, as, as it reads in verse one of chapter eighteen, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. And here's a key verse: Then Jonathan made a covenant with David, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor, and even his sword and his bow. In his belt. Here's the key aspect I want to get into with this word covenant. Um, It's kind of one of those uh, grown up words commitment. Um, If you want more words, um, it's the idea of a certainty, a commitment, and devotion. Right? A lot of times in the Bible, actually, when we talk about covenant, we talk about the church as, as, when we talk about the love of God. We're really not just talking about a random, general idea or a hug or something like that. It's not the same thing as saying, "I love sushi" or "I love Knott's Berry Farm for youth," whatever. Like, it's not that sense. What we're talking about is a covenantal love. We're talking about a love that, as the, as the Bible translates, is like a loving kindness, a steadfast love, and a mercy. But the Bible can't even compre- can't even like carry the full idea that. When we talk about the love of God, we're talking about a love that is sure, a love that never fails, a love that is rock solid, a love that is a skeleton, it is a foundation that never falls apart. It is a love that comes not from the emotive sense of when you feel like it. It comes from this commitment that comes like from your gut. It's like the Hebrew word for heart, that there is a conviction that I will deliver. And so even when we talk about covenant, a lot of times, the old school way to think about it is they even translated that when people like Jonathan make a covenant in verse 3 to David, right? Or in chapter 20, verse 5, that he makes a covenant of the Lord with David. And even in like 15 and 16, now it talks about cutting a covenant, right? It's this idea that when people of the Bible make a covenant, they they, they what they would do is they would kind of, in the same sense that There were sacrificial animals that had to be cut. They would say, if I fail to deliver on my promise, so shall be my same fate. That that is the love that I am promising to you. And so when Jonathan sees David's zeal for the Lord and David and Goliath, that he is provoked, that no one else in all of Israel is going to stand up for the name of the true God amongst all these counterfeit ones, there's something in Jonathan that says that's the type of friend, that's the type of person I want to love. That's why even this idea of his soul being knit, it's not because Jonathan's like, or David's like just this really great looking guy. He's fun to be around, shares all the same interests. The only thing we really know about David is that he loves the Lord with all his heart and soul. He has a heart after God's own heart. He has a zeal for his name and he will fight for it. And Jonathan sees that and he says, that's what I want. So he covenants himself with David and says, David, your kingdom is is better than mine would have been. I am going to strip off my robe and I'm going to protect you from my crazy dad. If you even follow this story, it's just really weird. Um, If you think about family dynamics um, and politics, it's kind of funny because Jonathan's dad, former king, stripped of his kingdom, supposed to give the kingdom to his son, but his son loves the one that the kingdom is going to go to. And it gets so bad that Like, it's literally like someone's, like your dad hating your best friend to the point that he's got anger issues and the text will later say that he tries to throw a spear at David twice, right? That's a weird movie. And David dodges it kind of like Neo from The Matrix, twice, right? All of it comes from Saul's jealousy. And even despite all this, there is this loyal love from Jonathan that says, David, God has chosen your kingdom. He's chosen you to be king, not me. I will surrender and commit myself to you. One commentator said this, true love gives itself in covenant and gladly promises devoted love in that covenant. Another person said this, true love always contains or carries an element of permanence, right? If you truly love something, you will not just give yourself, but you will stay with that thing, right? You know that. The things we love most, whether it be our children, maybe it's the Lakers, I don't know, or whatever it may be, what you love tends to be the thing that you commit to. That's why all the guys in here, we don't like bandwagon fans, because a true fan sticks out with a team when they fail completely in our laughing stock, right? Hence why someone who's a fan of the Clippers will be really happy right now because they stuck it through and things are changing, right? But true love gives itself. True love promises. True love contains an element of permanence. And this is what we see in David and Jonathan, that Jonathan's saying, I give my life to you. I swear that as long as I live, no one is going to strip the, the, the kingdom that God has for you. And so as we even look at this, this text is not just a weird, like, description of a unique relationship, like some weird bromance that we wish we had. It's, it's honestly the author of Samuel's Um, Desire that any Israelite at that time, or for us in 2019, anyone who would read it in the hearing of a congregation would receive the truth that in confusion and trouble, you take yourself to the one person who has made a covenant with you. In David's disintegrating world, there was yet one space of sanity, one refuge still intact, and that guy's name was Jonathan. There was a covenant security there where David knew this idea of covenant love. See, we live in a world where um, we, t- we, too, seek sources of refuge. It's only human that, like, if you've ever made a big move in another city and you don't know anyone, or that first day of a new school um, where you're like, what is this cafeteria? Where do people sit? Or if your first day of your first job, our most innate human response is to find something that we can rely on, right? We, too, look for refuge and security a place of kindness, a place of acceptance, of welcome. And the difference is in this story is opposed to the counterfeit gods or idols that sometimes we tend to cling to so hard that fail to deliver what they promise. The refuge found in covenant with Yahweh, with the God of the Bible, is that it is covenant, it is loyal, it is devoted, it is sure. Literally, God is a covenant God. That's what I'm trying to say to you guys. It's not general, vague, God loves us. But it's more like, you know, that's why we call ourselves Crossway, right? We know that the love was manifested with a man who bled, had a spear in his side, so that we can know for sure that our covenant is secure, right? Even in Exodus 34, 6, I love this. Moses is, I mean, everyone in the Bible kind of crazy, right? Because they've been through so much, especially the leaders. They really, really struggle. And the moment that Moses got the Ten Commandments, he was about to come down the mountain and let all the people know, Hey, look, this is the Holy Lord, Lord, Word of the Lord. It's going to be great. And the people are already like surprised him like, We have a surprise. We have a golden calf. He's like, Dang it. What have you done? I haven't even given you the words and you've already failed me. He literally, as a symbol of his hatred of the people for a second, literally takes the commandments that are written and he breaks them. He's like, this is what you have done, people of God. Oh, my God. And he's like, I'm going to need a new one. And as he's writing that, he describes it in Exodus 34, 6. That as he is about to do that, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed this The Lord, the Lord, and that's caps lock, which means Yahweh, a very specific God, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. And this word for steadfast love, loving kindness, kindness, is a word for God's covenant, as we say, Hesed, or his love for us. It is he is a God who abounds in it. Ephesians 2 verse 5 says a God being rich in mercy. All these things aren't just God gives. It is who he is. And he gives himself, which is mercy, which is hesed, which is covenantal love for his people. And I think the reason why that we are in this text today and the message of Jonathan and David isn't honestly the, how awesome Jonathans are as much as I would like that, right? It is because... Jonathan's covenant with David is tied to his understanding, I believe, to God's covenant with his people. It's not unusual for God, as he says, to be the faithful husband to a cheating wife. I'm in the prophets. If you guys ever want to, if you guys are just a lamenter, just do your devotions in the prophets. If you're sad right now, you will know you're not alone when you read Ezekiel or Jeremiah. That's how I, my emo self was in high school. I would just be like, I'm sad. I'm going to read some Jeremiah, and it helped me so much. Because in the end of the day, what you see is God's loyal covenant love with the people who 50-something chapters just don't want him back. And he's just like, return to me. And they're like, nah, right? If only you would turn. It's not unusual to see this type of love. It's not unusual to see it. This kind of covenant love in David and Jonathan, not only did, did Jonathan give his robe signifying his kingdom given to David, but as one commentator said, like, we even see foreshadowings of someone in the Bible who first who seeks first another kingdom, as Jesus said. We see someone who gets that it's not about his kingdom, he gets that there's a better one that's coming. And later on in their relationship, if you were to do a study with David and Jonathan, when David comes to power, um, man, I wish I could read all this text. It takes too long. But like in verse 17 um, or chapter 20, verse 14 to 17, David and Jonathan make this commitment. And Jonathan's like, David, I covenant myself to you. Will you covenant yourself to me? Right. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as his own soul. It would later come that when David had all the power that he, too, like he would do what no other king has done. Back in those days, when you got your kingdom, it was all about you and your glory. You didn't really care about all the promises you said you were going to deliver. Right. Because leaders do that. I don't know if times have changed. It's just how leaders apparently have done it for ages. And kings were no different. And so what, what David did when he came to power, when he had his glory days, is he actually went out of his way to ask one of his servants, does Jonathan have any kids that I may care for them and provide for them and love them the way that, da- that Jonathan loved me? And he found out that he had a kid whose name was Mephibosheth. My youth kids might laugh at that name. But um, Mephibosheth was a cripple. He had no provision. He lived in a time when no one was going to care of him, no one valued him, no one even saw him. It doesn't matter who his dad was. But David would seek him out. And it says in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel 7 that David would show kindness. He would show hesed. He would show covenant love to Mephibosheth. I can't even say his name. Because he, like, and, and in the way of providing for him a land and seating and giving him a seat at his kingly table. This is a cripple whose dad everyone forgot. What kind of love does this? What kind of love commits in such a way that you get nothing in return, but it's because of your devotion to someone that you do it? Mephibosheth was so messed up by this love that he asked, what is your servant that you should know, that you should show regard for such a dead dog as I? That's how he saw himself. And David got to image to him the loyal covenant love of God. For us, we are on a new covenant. As I was talking to you guys about Jeremiah, God was so gracious and so slow to anger. I mean, people like are wondering sometimes why God's so angry in the Old Testament. My question to them is, do you realize how much patience he had? He could have exploded the whole earth in justice, but he didn't. Instead, he said, still, I contend for you. Israel. And much more so for us who have a new covenant that was entranced into us and for us by the blood of Jesus. Um, dang it, I'm about to geek out. Y'all, y'all know about covenant, like the idea of cutting the covenant that I was talking about. Y'all know why Hebrews, we went through that series, why Jesus, you know, tells, him, tells everyone, like it says that Jesus is the high priest. He, he literally goes in and offers himself and offers his blood so that we would know that in the same way that an animal's bloodshed secures a covenant relationship with a sinful people, that Jesus' blood would be a greater blood and a better word for us. Security is found in that devoted, committed love that is only found in covenant. And let me just close real quick. See, the thing is, when I was talking about transition, transition is also kind of a funny word. I don't know if you guys YouTube. There's this one guy on YouTube um, who always makes Christian jokes. I don't know why, but, like, he makes a big brand of it. And the idea of this word transition was always, like, a funny word he kind of mocked because transition meant a lot of things in church. The idea that transition, like, it carries is, is two things. It carries loss and it carries promise, I think. Loss in the same sense that we're going to see that David and Jonathan, the, the end of their story is this, that they're going to, you know, D- Jonathan's going to try to protect David from his dad, trying to throw spears at him this whole time. And then David's like, please protect me. Give me a signal if it's safe. And Jonathan's going to do this whole signal thing. He's going to shoot out some arrows. And he's going to, he's going to sell, basically declare to, to, to David, hey, I love you, man, but you can't stay here. And in verse 41 to 42, It says that David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times and they kissed one another and wept with one another. Man, can you imagine two grown men just crying with their heads at each other? You don't see that all the time. David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, these key words, go in peace. Why? Because we have sworn both of us in the name of Yahweh, saying, Yahweh shall be between me and you. That's their security. That's their foundation of their relationship. And between my offspring and your offspring forever, and he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. And the thing is, is they only see each other one more time. Their transition came with a loss. They would not be the same. They would not be BFFs forever in the sense that they are being able to share meal after meal with each other. But you know what secures them and what secures relationship and what secures our identity as a church is our commitment and covenant with Yahweh. I titled this message The Security Found in Covenant because transition comes with loss, but it comes with promise. Our promise is found in a security that can never be taken from us. It comes from not false refuges refuges that die and and go away in a couple years. They come in a God who never dies and never goes away. Where do we see that? We see that in Jesus. We see that in our resurrected King. And following God and following this resurrected King promises transitions. And so my question for us, as we transition, all of our youth all of our kids, all of our college, all of us as adults, is will we follow God into transition? Will we follow God into moving out, if you will? Will we follow God into moving into new spaces, new steps of obedience that are uncertain if God is there, if Yahweh is there? I think that, um, I think that Jonathan did, I think that David did, and I definitely know that Jesus did for the joy who said before him endured the cross, right? So I invite you to find this peace that is found in the security of God's covenant. Let's pray. God, I thank you for these these saints in this room. We thank you, God, for the covenant peace, the covenant security we have in you and your holy precious name and your holy precious son who secured it for us by shedding his blood and raising again. I pray that we as a church but truly live out this way, the cross way of living, that we would endure, but we would also walk in faith. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thank you, John, and I don't know how many times, but um, man, such a wonderful story to hear, and um, yeah, I don't know if you caught it, but I caught a few y'alls in that um, sermon, which is, yeah. How you all doing? All right. So uh, we're just, um, thank you, John. That was a wonderful message. And uh, we're going to have a time of communion um, in response to the word today as we do each uh, month. And so those of you who profess Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, um, I'm going to pray for us and invite you up to the table. Uh, we're going to take communion. This uh, represents uh, the, the grace given to us the seal of the Holy Spirit. You know, this is this, uh, what we have here, this uh, gift. And so uh, we take this with much joy. So let me pray for us. and I'm gonna invite you up to one of our three tables. Lord, we uh, know you and remember you as the one who keeps the covenant with us, the one who is our friend, uh, the one who has given us access. And so Lord Jesus Christ, we uh, take that to heart and we are just grateful. And we do this um, here today not just as something that we do um, without any meaning, but, God, it has all the meaning as we remember you, the body that was broken, the blood that was shed for us. So as we take this time of communion, uh, would you bless us here? Uh, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Let me invite you up to one of our three tables. Come up freely. Those of you in the parents' room, please come and join us as well. Um, Let's take communion at this time. Lord, we thank you for the grace you show us on the cross. And we do this, Lord, in remembrance of you. We are grateful. We are proclaiming to the world that we trust and uh, lean on you, God. So we thank you for this time. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing. Um, David and the team will lead us in a song. And we're going to have a time of offering. Uh, and then we'll close the prayer. So let's uh, lift us up and take a moment, would you, and prepare uh, your offering.